welcome to The Fruit of Passion. I'm your host, Alejandro, also known as Hanoma, online. My guest today is Paul Chato. Paul is a Canadian comedian with a YouTube channel where he talks about technology, especially Macintosh and Hackintosh, plus a variety of unrelated topics. And as part of his loyal audience, I have to say that we welcome those random topics uh, as much as the Apple rants or the Hackintosh tutorials, because Paul's sense of humor and delivery position him uniquely as a very peculiar technology commentator. So I now give you Paul Chato. I'm here with Paul Chato. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Alejandro. So good to so good to meet you. I can do my uh, Ricardo Montalban Corinthian leather, uh, very bad Spanish accent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know if that sounds that Spanish. I don't know, but it's maybe a Mexican kind of experience. But uh, that's sorry, like that, a Mexican lover. <laughs> that is correct. There, there's your Latin lover, deep, <laughs> deep and slow accent. I, I, I'm sure I've, I will have offended someone out there. So oh, of my course, apologies. of course. I, I will, uh, now I will have to mark my podcast episode as explicit or something. <laughs> uh, we, well, listen, a, a pleasure to, to meet you. Thanks for chasing me down. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if you've you heard the podcast, but I think I, I, when I sent you an email, I mentioned it's uh, the main theme for me is passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to talk to people who are particularly passionate about something. So I, uh, I guess in my in this case, the default topic would be apple. Actually, the the title that I have in my mind is "Biting the Apple" or something like that. Sure, sounds sounds good <laughs> for the episode. But watching your YouTube channel, and we we will talk about your channel, uh, it's also clear that you have other passions. Um, also, uh, I don't know if you are willing to disclose your age, but. <laughs> sure. Yes, I will. Basically, after every if if you if you are uh, you are aware of this ten thousand hours yes. theory or seven years, whatever it is. But basically, after some after some age, you start realizing, oh, I have more interests and I I develop uh, skills in this and that. So in in your case, your your YouTube channel, for example, is comedy tech or tech comedy, I don't know what, what you call it, but it's basically technology and comedy mixed together. And so you have a, an advanced grasp of technology. Also recently you uploaded a video of your comedy troupe, right? Correct. It's very clear that you have an advanced understanding of both worlds. So my first question to you was, uh, could you tell me how is it that you came to be in tech and also how you came to be in, in comedy? Okay, I'll try to make this short. I've always been involved in some kind of technology. Uh, even as a kid, I was uh, soldering radios together. Uh, so, uh, and and I guess I was kind of wanted to be funny. Uh, and then I encountered the Goon Shows, which is a British radio show from the fifties uh, and sixties that uh, was unbelievably outrageous that gave us Peter Sellers. Maybe that's the best known person out of the, out of that group. But, uh, you know, Harry Seacombe and Spike Milligan, these, these people became heroes to me. And, and the moment I heard the goon shows, I wanted to be a comedian, but that didn't stop me from uh, soldering 
and wiring, building stereos, building speakers, being passionate about uh, being passionate about uh, uh, bass reflex speakers versus all those those guys who like the completely enclosed speakers. I mean, they were yeah, we had big fights between the enclosed speaker people and the bass reflex speaker people. I mean, they could go they could go to hell. And so then I was an AV guy in high school, which I was one of only two people that knew how to properly loop a Bell and Howell 16 millimeter projector for all those venereal films that you know that were played back in the 60s and 70s. 70s. So I got out of class even. It was really great because you'd get an announcement right in the middle of my grade, whatever, four class. Would Mr. Paul Chato please come to the AV office to collect the Bell and Howell and take it to Mrs. Dirtmuller's uh, grade six class? And then I would leave. Like, it was great. It was wonderful. And I would take my time. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. You always take your time. So I was always a nerd. And it was just you got as technology uh, you know, uh, advances and uh, in the comedy advanced and there was Second City and Saturday Night Live. And and I always wanted to do the school comedy productions. Everything just sort of merged, merged together. So in between doing the lighting for a stage show at high school, I was also doing sketch work at high school. So it became just this circular passion for me. So let's go after high school. Did you work professionally as a comedian or as a tech person of any kind? So I went to Radio Television Arts um, at Ryerson uh, and graduated in 1976. But while I was at Ryerson, I was also a cartoonist. So and where I were, it was a great way to express my comedy through um, cartoons, which got me in trouble in high school. Uh, but at uh, Ryerson, I joined the Eye Opener, which was the local paper, which was the one of the internal papers, student papers at the school. And the Ryerson is a very good journalism um, school. Um, although I don't know why anyone teaches journalism anymore. You can't make money at it at all. Uh, <laughs> but that being said, it was a fantastic time. And I learned how to do layout and design of the actual flats of the newspaper and because I was artistic I ended up doing cartoons and laying stuff out and so when I when I left Ryerson rather than going into TV I became a graphic designer and logo designer and I became an art director at a uh, uh, at a uh, stereo chain a huge Canadian stereo chain and then one day I got together with my friend Rick Green and and phoned my mom and said, Mom, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to become a stand-up comedian, where she just started screaming at me. It was the only time, only time I ever hung up the phone on my mom. Because, what are you doing? Oh, what are you doing? You're leaving your, your $10,000 a year job. I, I, what's going to... Yai, 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 yai. And, you know, buy, mom, mom, buy, click. <laughs> so then became a stand-up comedian and uh, joined up with two other guys. And uh, that became the Frantics. And while the Frantics were evolving, we stayed together for 10 years. But uh, we wanted some kind of democratizing technology that would allow us to more quickly write our scripts without having to constantly rewrite the whole things by sticking them into a new, into a typewriter and and if we want to rewrite something you had to retype the whole goddamn script you know even if it's just a few words that you wanted to change and that's where we found the the Macintosh and we bought the very first Macintosh which was networkable and so I became an expert in Apple talk and uh, so it's just nonstop <laughs> what what year are we are we in now uh, around what time oh Okay, so that would be, well, uh, late, 
uh, uh, I was going to say 1800s, no, 1980, so 1985, uh, 6, 7, mm -hmm. 8. Uh, Apple actually sent me out to some installations uh, in Toronto because I was the most expert uh, person on Apple Talk networks. Wow. <laughs> so did you work for Apple or was it like a third party a thing? Consultant. 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 I cons yeah, I consulted for Apple with on a whole bunch of things. I mean, they liked me. And then I, when they rolled out the PowerPC line of computers, they took me to Comdex and mm -hmm. and I was there. I was their booth babe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With a tight uh, dress and all. Correct. The whole push up, push up <laughs> moves. And then uh, Letraset uh, sent me to the UK to promote their latest software, which was brilliant. And, and they crashed and burned because they didn't know what the hell they were doing with it. But that's another discussion. I'm going to be doing a show on that. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's always been comedy, technology. I learned to program in HyperCard. And then I, you know, then Macromedia Director. And we did CD-ROMs. But then I had to stop programming because I was shitty. And then I had other employees and... I ran a big company. Um, uh, it's just, I do what I love and it's just nonstop. I, I don't see the difference between programming, running a business, being a comedian, being with the frantics. It's all part of the same continuum. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about, you, you mentioned already something uh, with respect to journalism. Uh, why would anybody study that? And one of the reasons is that you have fierce competition because everybody has a phone and having a phone makes you already some kind of citizen journalist or something like that, right? You, you can get your phone out and record or take a picture of anything that's happening. And if you have any kind of writing skill, that that will help you send something from your phone to any, any kind of publication. Um, obviously, the, the journalists are supposed to be better prepared, but then you, you, you read the papers, you see how much in a hurry they are to publish at at any cost that they overlook grammar and whatever. I guess a lot of people have said that there's a decline in the quality of the writing in newspapers and all. Oh, yes, of course. Do you think something similar has happened with stuff like designing or programming where a lot of people are professionals now in the area, but they never studied that formally, including myself? Like I studied mathematics, but I ended up working as a software engineer. I also taught myself to, to write code. Uh, eventually, when I started working, the, the way I, I like to explain it is I, I learned how to write code, and I was writing code for years, but now I don't write code, I do software engineering, which is, let's say, the next step. But basically, I taught myself with some extra help. And the same happens with journalists today, uh, as long as they have the writing skills. I wanted to ask about, is, is, is it something similar for comedy and for the other tech endeavors that you've done well there's just that that's a multi-sided question uh first of all there is some rigor in programming whether you like it or not mm -hmm. uh yes there's multiple ways to program something and you could go into university and go oh my god all this time i've been hacking at c plus plus a certain way and if i just learned this technique that you learn in pascal then i would have been a more efficient programmer so uh, there's, there, there's, you can always be a better programmer. And I don't know a single programmer that we've ever hired that had to look at his or her code several years later who didn't say, holy shit, who programmed this? Oh, my God, I did. 
what a this was crap <laughs> and and so that's a non-stop learning experience uh, a lot of end users who know nothing about code mm -hmm. uh, you know the thing is if it works it works uh the, the really good coders know how to document or comment their their codes the bad coders don't um but on the other hand there's cowboy coders that can come right in write a bunch of shit and it works and they leave and and that's all they needed at the time like it was more important to have it work than actually work well and they get promoted <laughs> well that's a different yeah that, that's that's a whole different thing so there's at least some rigor which in journalism can be completely ignored because you know now there's a a, a merging of people with opinions and people who are writing um, true uh, news. Uh, if you're if you're really a good news person, then you're not writing opinion, but opinion has taken over. So people this the opinion creeps into almost all news now because that's what's popular. Um, yeah, certainly there are there are people who are very talented and and right out of the womb know how to write properly. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they instinctively know what, who, when, what, where, when, why, and how is, and, and how you've got to set up a story. But, I mean, if you're smart, you'll learn quickly, uh, you know, what that means. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, the problem with uh, not being able to make a living with in journalism is that you got the Huffington Post situation where uh, people write for free – uh, in the hopes of being paid one day, which then never happens. So what's the point? But people are hungry for news, ironically. They're mm -hmm. reading it online. But how do you keep the volume of news coming unless someone is paid to, to do it? It's a vicious. And then, then the other thing that is completely missing. Okay, so people can stumble along with journalism. I, I see some horrible journalism on CNN. In fact, uh, don't tell anybody, but I've seen some better journalism on Fox, notwithstanding their their I won't opinion. Tell don't tell anyone. Uh, notwithstanding their opinion, mm -hmm. uh, idiots. Uh, the news side of it, actually, I find better written than what's on CNN. And then the New York Times is a hodgepodge of sometimes great and sometimes horrible. Uh, but they have a history. So there's a resonance that people at least have to feel. But where we're really missing it is the um, uh, Mike Royko's and the um, and the from the Chicago Sun Times. I think it's Mike, and then uh, the guy from New York. Uh, gosh, if, uh, the 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 beat writers with an opinion who come up with like every day some kind of opinion piece on what's happening in City Hall, and they're sarcastic and funny, and they're winning. Uh, Pulitzer prizes and and I'm you know but those are you, you, there's those people don't exist anymore those amazing amazing writers that you just when you open up the paper these are the first people that you want to read the columnists sorry that's the the columnists yeah but also you just you just said when you open the paper which doesn't really happen anymore <laughs> no sorry I mean the difference is that now you go let's say to newyorktimes.com or whatever the the web page of the newspaper yeah, yeah. but the what used to be the cover of the newspaper or the column would the opinion column would be in the second page or something but now the you have to go really deep or really down in the web page to to find the opinion or something uh, many times that you go to whatever new york times or, or something and what they have in front is what you were saying all the opinionated 
yeah. but not not opinionated, but the, the news or disguised as news, but sometimes just a political campaign or something. Yeah, uh, Breslin. The guy's name is uh, Breslin. I forgot his first name. You can look it up on the internet. Was it? Was he from a news particular newspaper? Yeah, uh, the Jimmy 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 Breslin. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Breslin, uh, Breslin, and Mike Royko were just unbelievable. Uh, you just wanted to read them, even though I was from Toronto. Yeah. I would I would like pick up the Chicago. I, I mean, sometimes. I'm not even from from English culture, but you've just given me homework, and I'll I'll find those names and, and read something. Well, you just you go when you read them, you go holy smokes! It's like biting into a good steak after being in prison for thirty years. And 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 you say this by you, experience. Yes, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and you forget just. You get inured to the horrible writing that exists right now. Mm. And then you go back in time and, and dig up these guys and read it. And right from the first sentence, you're transported into another world of, of writing that's just difficult to, uh, difficult to explain. So anyways. So, so, so far, I've had four podcast episodes. You are the fifth guest. And you are the oldest one, and we are already talking about how the old times were better and the nostalgia and all. <laughs> uh, different. Let's 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 say different. It's yeah, it's different, but it's it's different. Not necessarily better or worse, but it's just different. Yeah, I, I I'd like to. I, I just I think it's important for the kids out there to chart their own course and and find out what it is that that works. Uh, I don't want to sound like the old man of of. Uh, you know, newspaper writing. Um, I, I will sound like the old man of music because music today is shit, but that's a different topic. Okay, so let's move on. Have you, uh, I think there's a theory. I don't know how formal this is, but th- there's something like your musical taste is basically fixed after after 14 or after you're 14 or 15, which is why it's kind of hard. It makes sense when you think about it, but it's uh, it's why you keep going back to whatever style you you were listening to at that no, time I, I i heard that but on the other hand that would mean that i would be listening only to rolling stones and early beatles uh and then it evolved into later rolling stones and beatles and sparks mm-hmm. and jethro tull and uh yes and uh and then i love disco uh i like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of edm of the uh of the 90s so I don't know if that's true. I really, really got into techno, like wow. loud. Okay. In that case, so, you, you are disproving the theory. <laughs> but also, I, I I'm, I'm so. guessing that whoever did the study, even if it is, uh, I don't even know if this is a serious study, but it sounds like they were younger and they were just complaining about 2000s music or something. Sure. And, and I think it's always important to have a premise when you're an uh, an expert, quote unquote, unquote mm-hmm. uh, because then you get attention. Because everyone's been talking about that, whether it's right or wrong. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's more important to come up with a crazy, outlandish idea and just and and pretend it's right. Like the the gluten free doctor, where who's who's heard of him since? Like he, he came on board two years, stop eating gluten. The Italians told him to fuck off, or we're going to kill you. And uh, and then um, he's gone. 
because then the scientists started checking things out and found that, I mean, except for the odd individual, gluten is fine. The guy's wrong. Yeah, but it was a trend. It was a, it was a trend. So there you go. Going back to the comedy and tech mixture, when did you start looking at YouTube as a potential outlet for, for your creativity? Uh, so I was trying to convince the uh, the Frantics after we were we did we re released we re released our old radio shows from the eighties uh, onto a podcast called Best of Frantic Times, and so I, I encourage anyone to go to Podbean or or iTunes and search for Best of Frantic Times because it, it's really a great series. And during that time, I you know because I'm a a tech guy and the other guys are not tech guys at all. But I saw what YouTube was doing. And I said, Hey, listen, let's get together and, you know, just uh, go into a go and rent a hotel or a, a house somewhere. And for one month, just record ourselves being stupid. And they, we all came from a very professional background, and they thought it was too loose. And they couldn't really see, oh, like, uh, they couldn't understand too loose uh, in what, the sense that they would prefer to have a script, for example, uh, maybe or a plan, and uh, just the idea of recording us uh, reading our scripts that we uh, we read to we used to read to each other it was probably the most fun that I think we ever had was reading our scripts to each other. So we mm -hmm. would go away, write a bunch of stuff, come in and pitch these scripts, and sometimes we'd be howling, and even the scripts that didn't work. We would find great things, and it, it showed the camaraderie, uh, how supportive we were of each other, and and uh, and I just you know YouTube doesn't really have rules, and I thought let's find out what those rules for us, w what they were for us on the fly. But the guys weren't interested in such an unstructured thing, so I went oh, screw it. Uh, I, I, number one is a web. I have a web design company. Uh, YouTube is not necessarily the the um, the domain of a 65-year-old male. There, you wanted to know my age. And um, I snuck it in there. And so I was fascinated both as a challenge uh, to an older white guy uh, when, when the, you know, the, the YouTube is populated, listened to by 15-year-old girls watching makeup vlogs. Uh, so I, I, I technically, I wanted to figure it out. Creatively, I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to understand how to monetize, how the YouTube algorithm works, uh, why people were successful, why people weren't successful. So part of it was also to be able to talk to my clients, of which I've got hundreds, like 700 clients, uh, many who are approximately, you know, in their 50s who are consultants, uh, you know, to stop blogging, start vlogging in mm -hmm. terms of a better return on their personal investment uh, as, as it relates to promoting themselves, because blogging is dead, like, who cares? And so I was fascinated from that perspective. And, and, and plus, uh, I was a creative person and uh, and and this is where the 10,000 hour rule kicked in whereas I was starting from scratch and at the very beginning I was imitating Casey Neistat vlogs I was imitating uh, you know Jenna Marbles I was imitating all the people who I really liked at the time uh, but I also had to immerse myself in completely into the YouTube culture I had to watch everything because you, a lot of people will get on YouTube and go, well, I don't really watch any YouTube, but I'm going to start my own vlog. 
Mm, okay, mm. the chances of you being successful are slim to none. You've got to love, learn to love the medium. And this is one of the things I learned when I was head of TV comedy at CBC, the Canadian Broadcorping Castration, um, where I would I read about 1,100 scripts, and uh, any and I would call everybody who wrote. And I would, so this is for sitcoms. And I said, well, what, what, why'd you come up with this? And he, they'd go, well, I hate sitcoms. Everything out there is stupid. And so here's my sitcom <laughs> idea that will solve all sitcom problems. And they were usually the worst. Uh, the best scripts were written by people who loved all sitcoms, bewitched, uh, you know, eight is enough. Uh, uh, one Day at a Time, All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore. So the good ones, the Three's Company, they just had to love the art form. And th those people made the best scripts. Where we could talk about Three's Company, and you're too young to know, but it's always a horrible sitcom, but it was fun to watch. Laverne and Shirley. Uh, it was, they were brilliantly funny. And you had to appreciate them. And the people who did appreciate them, those were the people who wrote good sitcoms. So when it came to YouTube, I didn't want to be one of those people. And so I went on, copied like everyone else does, practiced, and then found my own groove. Now I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I don't have a ton of subscribers. How long do you think it, it took for you to, to find some... First of all, how, how long was it before you had a really a hit video, like a really successful in, in terms of views? Was it probably a Hackintosh video? Yeah, it was a, it was my uh, uh, first year Hackintoshing video. So that would have come uh, in my uh, first year of, of YouTubing back in 2007. Uh, 16? No, 2017. So I did a video in March, and that screamed up to 100,000 views. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask there, was it completely intentional? You, you thought or you guessed that it was going to be more successful, or you just tried one more topic among many, and, and it, it happened to be successful? Correct. Yeah, I, I did the stuff that was of interest to me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my, my YouTube channel for the most part, has been a variety channel. Uh, after that, or soon after that, I kind of went, okay, let's go all in on Hackintosh and Apple and stop being trying to be a comedian per se. Like I tried to make all my videos funny and entertaining, mm -hmm. but uh, then and then my channel uh, stats started increasing considerably. And then I hit 18,000 subscribers. And, and yes, if I had not concentrated on that kind of strata, the Hackintosh, Apple, milieu mm -hmm. then uh, I would not have I would not have increased my subscriber and actually one of your last videos got it was a comedy video it was a, a solo comedy from you criticizing YouTube and <laughs> apparently there were many comments uh, basically people didn't get it maybe no. pe people went for the title and they know that some other big youtubers are having problems with monetization, YouTube revenue, ads, whatever it is. And they started, I don't know, um, banging you in the comments or trashing no, they you? No, they, they were helping me. Oh, okay, and, and, helping. Okay. Yeah, they were. Oh, how they, innocent. <laughs> so so can, can you explain this? And, and 
I mean, you you don't have these urgencies of, let's say, the 25-year-old YouTuber who wants to Correct. make a living out of that, right? Correct. So, so what, they didn't, what, under, what they the didn't understand. They, they didn't understand that I really don't care. <laughs> this was just me having fun with the, I mean, the, at its core, it's true that mm -hmm. as of late, I've not been able to buy a video that has gotten over 20,000 views when before the odd, I got the odd one into the eighties, the hundreds over the over 200,000. Now, I don't know what's happened. I can't, I can't buy a video that gets me past 50, you know, 20, 50,000. Mm -hmm. So that's was, that was the subject. So the subject was true. Um, uh, and then people started offering all sorts of, uh, advice on, you know, what I should be doing now. Truth be told, I have a terrific subscriber base and those people get it and they loyal, just pop loyal and they piled on and they write their own jokes and they, you know, cause I talked about how the haul, my discovery of haul videos where women, go get a, buy a bunch of clothing, try it on in front of the camera, yeah. you know, accidentally show their under things. Yeah. And of course, you know, the boys are watching it, get a boner and they're, they're you know, they got 7 million views. So, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, maybe I should have, a, I should do a bikini haul video. And then some people came back and said, no, don't, please, dear Lord, don't do a bikini haul. But some others say that, that the ladies will will go crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you might have even more views than before. And then some, and then some people went, well, I hear the secret is that you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and you got to follow the Google, blah, 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 blah. And I'm fine. Yeah. I, I love them to death. I, I, I mean, how can I complain about that? Yeah, uh, but by the way, uh, speaking of that, I I see so many videos um, uh, talking about the the YouTube algorithm as if they know it. And oh yeah, <laughs> I so I worked for two years uh, in Amazon, and now I'm working in Facebook. And so these are big tech companies, and just from being inside, you know that whoever is outside, they just don't know how it works, no. and whoever is inside. They don't disclose it. So <laughs> like all of these big YouTubers saying, this is what you have to do, but sure, sure. I, I might try, but it's it it works in mysterious ways. You you just don't know. Sure. And 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 some people have the royal jelly, which I call uh, and that's I call the royal jelly that that spark that an individual might have that uh that uh the camera loves. Well, if you are female twenty and hot. <laughs> uh, that that's you started. You're off to a good start, you know. With the, actually, there are some Instagram accounts of girls just posting like, "Oh, how does it look on me?" and 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 some fancy clothes, usually very small clothes. And again, they get like millions of views, where you would get a thousand or whatever. But yeah, so <laughs> some people have that. But for example, you also have uh, your channel grew pretty quickly after the Hackintosh video, I'm guessing? Uh, no, it's always been really steady. But it's still growing at, at the oh, same yeah. pace? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's but, about a thousand subscribers a month. Oh, do you have any specific plans or targets? Um, well, I mean, I mean, from a content point of view, I really, I'm really happy where I am. I've gotten comfortable with it. I can pull out the camera and start talking about stuff. People want me to do tech more tech stuff, but even the tech people have stopped doing tech stuff because uh, there's not much left, not much tech left to really 
you know, do unless and it's too the, many, too many reviewers, too many YouTubers yeah, doing tech. But but on the other hand, you've got you can't you have to ignore that because people are coming for your personality. Right. So so there might be somebody else uh, uh, um, reviewing the RTX, you know, the 2080 or something like that. But they come to my channel because they want my take on it. So that you have to ignore that. Um, I did a video. On, I mean, of uh, course, we want we want to see how you will connect a graphics card with Apple, with North Korea, and whatever other thing you put in there. Sure, and and and, and you know what's funny is my first Hackintosh video. I did not put what I call my first build video. I did not put any um, uh, 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 build porn in it. Mm -hmm. And people complained. So the second one, I shot like putting the hard drive in, putting the graphics card in. Oh, yeah. In. And do it and, in and, slow and motion, baby. That's right. And and uh, putting the PSU in. And it's mandatory. People love it. I'll send you a link to, to some article, some rant that I wrote. And I, I call this part uh, watching gear porn. Yeah. It's just people love watching close-ups of, of um, the, whatever gear it is, you know, a microphone or a graphics card, <laughs> unboxing videos. Come on. That's that's like a first world porn. You yeah, know? That's right. And I, and I did my own unboxing videos, but even those have now uh, gone by the wayside. So there's the people who started five, ten years ago who have got millions and millions of subscribers. They're still doing pretty well. Uh, uh, there was one person who's got 300,000 subscribers and she was just crying about the new algorithm and she was getting only a hundred thousand views. I guess she was making her living from, uh, YouTube and I yeah. would, I would kill for a hundred thousand views. But on the other hand, um, you know, right now until I retire, uh, I'm not going to do this in any kind of scientific way. I do recommend to people that if they're starting off, they should do a minimum of two a week. There's things I've learned, uh, try to pick a topic. Uh, but the first, your first job is to actually figure out what your personality is, because that's what people are coming to see. Is your personality, and again, some people don't get it. My Apple rant, where I, where I, get, I don't know if you saw it, but at the very end, I go into this gigantic, raging, screaming. Your speech, uh, yeah. My speech, and and it's all acting. I don't. It's like I'm not mad at Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, a, a lot of people just don't get it. But I, I saw one of your older videos where you you put how many like six or seven Apple computers on the table, and many of them yeah. are twenty years your old yeah. computers so everybody who anybody who has that kind of computer and you still have them that that tells you something that maybe people haven't watched that video but so can you tell a little more about your your history with with apple your love hate relationship uh -huh. well uh, uh so for, for instance uh, i uh, the the um the mac uh, i followed uh, very early on because I was a, a fan of the Lisa, but couldn't afford 10 grand Canadian for it. And then there was the rumor of, of the Macintosh and, and we were looking for a networkable computer and, and we were looking at the, and it was a fun time because you also had the, um, oh gosh, I mean, you had the Trash 80, which was the TSR 80, the, the, um, the uh, Radio Shack, you had the Commodore computers, you had, um, God darn it, I can't remember, uh, any number of computers out there. So um, I bought the the first uh, 128K Mac in 
the um, uh, 1984. Uh, was this for and, work? Yeah, it was for work. Uh, and that that got things started as we tried to you know, make that survive. And then a friend of mine who worked at Pete Marwick, which is a global huge um, accounting firm, adopted the Mac because they wanted to build specific and, and, and custom software for audits. And they liked the Mac because it was portable-ish. They could dump the, the Mac into a, a green uh, bag, and I, a khaki bag, and I had one. And yeah, it was 40 pounds, but it was more portable than anything else out there. And then when the 512 Mac came out, that meant that they could write real software. The 128 K Mac was not particularly useful uh, in that regard. Uh, and so uh, my friend who worked at Beat Marwick, who was writing some of this software, asked me to join their user group, which was called Smug, Super Mac User Group. And uh, because Pete Marwick was number one Apple's accounting firm, audit firm, number two, a huge global firm, and bought a shitload of Macs, they had Apple Canada's ear. And so we got carted around. We got to see new computers before they were released to the public. I mean, I mean, truth be told, it was Apple Canada, and the Apple US doesn't give a shit about Apple Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, in maybe a couple weeks early, and for people who are total geeks, this was like, oh my God, Apple Canada is bringing up us to their headquarters to see the computer they're going to release in two weeks before the public season. Oh, this was awesome. And and that was fun. And, and so I developed a relationship with some of the people who were at Apple, and they knew that I was... Uh, you know, good at entertaining, and I could speak the language. So I got involved in a lot of their marketing tours. So I was a booth babe for a bunch of rollouts. Uh, plus, they did a cross, several cross Canada tours where they were promoting things like their dot matrix printer and uh, their 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 wide wide uh, platen uh, printer that had a, a feeder in it. Uh, uh, curiously enough, we had a I think it was a Spanish speaking guy. But he couldn't um, say the word cut sheet feeder. And every time he went up and did his presentation, he always called it the cat shit feeder. The cat shit, and of course. The, the cat shit feeder, because his I, accent. I, I can probably explain why. I mean, you probably know, but that's one of the hardest sounds to, for us to, for Spanish speaking people to learn uh, when you're learning English. The cut sheet? The, the difference between sheet and shed. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. <laughs> you see the I, and we pronounce the I as a double E in English. So, yeah. Right. So we would always howl with laughter, and he was not happy with us at all. So anyway, so uh, we went right across the, the country, and then Letraset picked me up. So uh, I, I was I, then I started writing desktop publishing uh, documents when uh, the laser printer came out. I actually bought one with my wife for $7,000 Canadian and paid it back in like two months, actually, to tell you the truth. Uh, we were at the forefront of desktop publishing, and, and you know, Apple, obviously... Uh, that was a big deal. I helped at the Toronto Star with installing, you know, the desktop publishing system. Uh, I programmed directly in PostScript, uh, so it was a, it was an amazing, amazing fun time. Uh, you probably don't know who John Warnock is, but he's the person who invented PostScript and started Adobe. And I saw him speak, and uh, I won a copy of Illustrator version one, but they forgot to. Uh, they forgot to bring the uh, the um, the prize copy. It was left in the hotel. So John Warnock gave me his 
demo copy. I should have got it autographed, but I have it here, like, you know, in the closet just across from me. Was that in, uh, in diskettes? Uh, diskettes, of course. Yeah. yeah, floppy drive. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, you have to understand that the very first Macintosh, you could put the OS, MacWrite, MacPaint, and have room for maybe a couple of files mm -hmm. on a 400K floppy. Of course. <laughs> I, I also work with, with floppy disks, uh, uh, three, three and a half, was it? And five and a quarter yeah. or something like that? No, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a three and a half inch floppy. Yeah. So um, uh, I was just an Apple gadfly and they would hire me for doing all sorts of, all sorts of things. And uh, I had a terrific time. So I, I consulted with them quite, quite frequently. Uh, and I just, I just did the stuff that I enjoyed doing. Like I said before, I became an expert in Apple mm -hmm. Talk. So you kept using Apple computers all the way. I mean, when they transitioned to Intel, also. Uh, yeah. So there was a period of time around OS seven where I was running a company, and I bought a Dell computer because the Mac OS was just not running well. But that was an even worse experience, and I came back. Uh, we can say it was a midlife crisis. Yes, correct. And and uh, we built our video game uh, Jewels of the Oracle. On, on the Mac when the Power PCs first came out. I even have my 9600. I still have it uh, here. And we edited Avid on the on the Mac. Big, huge. I mean, this is, the, the system cost us $60,000 back in, back in the 90s. Um, and uh, I mean, the Mac was always expensive, but I mean, you could get a compact for, the compacts were like $4,000. So I bought a Quadra 700 for five. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the capability of the Quadra 700 was uh, Eclipse, the Compaq, which was like a 256 color computer enormously. I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the Quadra 700 was a 16,000 color computer, which I started our business in terms of uh, doing uh, live uh, uh, slideshow presentations. We converted people from slides over to live digital computer presentations using uh, projector monitors that cost $150,000 a piece. <laughs> there, was, there were no LCD tiny monitors. And these things had to, you know, three people lifted it up and it took us, <laughs> take you an hour just to focus them and align all the tubes. And, and But those were great times. I mean, it was a fantastic time, the transition from glass slides over to co computer generated presentations. And we did a ton of business. This is where my business, uh, you know, in the 1990s originally started. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, we just kept on, uh, you know, the Apple was a very big part and, and the, the apples were more expensive, but they offered better value. Uh, we, we did not have any computer tech people. Even when I had 15 people working for me, uh, we had no tech support. The apples just supported themselves. It was a, it was a really, really good time. Uh, and then at some point, um, well, I mean, fairly recently in the, uh, I even got the uh, 19, uh, sorry, uh, 2006 uh, um, cheese grater version one. That's the version one Intel mm. uh, Mac Pro. Uh, that cost me a lot of money, but it was the fastest thing out there, expandable, and and it, I kept it for ten years. So I mean, the it value was the fastest for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So the the I mean, as a computer, it paid for itself and. Uh, but now I'm finding Apple is charging just a little bit 
too much. They've gone past the value, what I call the value uh, gap between, uh, you know, a Windows PC and the Mac PC, uh, I, I, you know, and, and the design. Uh, you know, they're not in the computer business anymore. They're, you know, they don't yeah. have to compete it's with secondary now. Yeah, it's secondary. And I'm, I'm, my premise is it's the OS stupid. Uh, yeah, sure. Make the beautiful iMacs. Make the wonderful Mac Minis. And that Trash and Tosh was a complete failure. Um, um, well, not a failure, but let's call it, it was a misstep. Uh, but that was that was the point where the iPads started coming out, and Apple thought it, the world was going to be computing on iPads, not desktop computers. But they kind of miss misread that and and then they stopped updating the computers for years and years and years i mean hell the mac pro is, is a 2013 model that they're still selling for similar prices to what they you know they 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 started with mm -hmm. back in 2013 and it's 2019 so that's six years six years we're still waiting for the mac pro so and then the imac pro i don't need that computer and all, every single mac that they make now thermal throttles so my argument is not only do they not make a computer that um, uh, you know I want, but I don't want a computer that thermal throttles. Mm, yeah. So so I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, they're selling enough of them, but but I, I you know so th this is my uh, this is uh, my windmill. I'm Don Quixote. So when am. when <laughs> when did you let's say. Uh divorced from Apple for the first time after being with them for 30 odd years. I'm still buying Apple products. Sure. But uh, when, when did you um, get your first hacking touch? Okay. So that started when Apple uh, wouldn't put, I think it was uh, uh, the one after Snow Leopard on, they wouldn't support the Mac Pro anymore it was gosh darn it uh yes might have been yosemite might have been yosemite and it, it wouldn't go they wouldn't support it anymore that was it five years of owning the mac pro and apple was not supporting it anymore and then uh piker alpha came out with a hack that allowed us to uh keep keep working with the that mac pro and from that moment on i got interested in the hacking community because i thought wow this is pretty amazing that i can keep using this mac pro even though apple end of lifed it and i can keep updating the os um and then uh i wanted then my hackintosh was just my my uh my mac pro was just not fast enough and i started looking at macs and i thought Wow, they're the they're running on computers with CPUs that are three years behind what the Windows computers are running on. I mean, dear Lord, just stay current with the CPUs. And uh, and Apple came out with uh, the uh, i7 7700K, which I thought, okay, this is good. But at this time, the Mac Mini was just an absolute piece of shit. I mean, it was slow. I was now. I mean, I've I've owned three Mac Minis back in the PPC days, and they were great. And I thought, wow, this this is these are terrible value, terrible value, expensive. And and then I wanted a headless i seven seventy seven hundred K model iMac. That's what I wanted. I'm a geek. I've got more monitors than you can shake a stick at. The Mac Mini did not 
fit what I needed to do. It not did not have a dedicated GPU, and uh, I'm not going to buy what was it a Core Duo? It was dreadful. It was a dreadful product. So they did not have a computer that fitted what I needed, and the Mac Pro, the trash and tosh, I wasn't going to get because it was all old tech by then. Thunderbolt two, old graphics cards. I mean, it was a ridiculous. It was a ridiculous thing to even consider purchasing that thing. And um, so it was at that moment I said, I'm going to build a screenless iMac, or I call it a headless iMac. That's what mm. I wanted. And I, Apple didn't build just an iMac version of a Mac mini version of the 7700K that also allowed me to put the 580 graphics card to this because the 7700K iMac had a 580. And you, you could have waited for the Mac Pro, but you will still be waiting. Yes, and 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 they're prohibitively expensive in Canada. I mean, they start uh, at everywhere, 10, <laughs> everywhere. So so um, my son, who's a PC guy, uh, and builds PCs beautifully, I said, "Hey, son, um, I want you to build me a PC." And then I'll put the software on it. So we built the computer together, had a great time. I mean, he, he was, I don't know, 18 years old. Fathers and sons don't talk to each other around that age. Not that we have a great relationship, but I mean, mm -hmm. he had other things that he was doing. But I went, oh my God, this is what PC culture does. It brings people together, fathers and daughters, fathers and sons. Apple has none of this. My dad and I used to work on the Apple II together that he bought. This was one of the things that he and I bonded over was the Apple II. There's nothing that like that in the Mac community. I think that's a huge mistake. So uh, Ellis and I built this PC together, had a phenomenal time, struggled, put the first Hackintosh on. It took me two days. And I'm a gamer and a problem solver. And that was and a pr former programmer. And, and you know the feeling of not being able to solve a problem. And then you, you go to sleep. Next day, you have a shower. In the shower, you go, oh my God, I now know what I need to do. And that's what this experience was. That, yeah, Hackintoshing is tough, but I didn't care. I had that epiphany, that great moment of figuring it out, and then I've been running it ever since, and it's been solid. I had a power supply that went to fix that, but you no. Know, so, so the difference is, I now have a computer that was about a thousand dollars less than what Apple was charging. I was able to upgrade monitors. I have a huge PSU. Apple has a shitty little tiny PSU in their in their iMac. I have no thermal throttling. Mm -hmm. Apple built a 7700K iMac that you couldn't even overclock. Why put a K processor into a body that you can't overclock? That's just nuts. You're paying for nothing. It's like kissing your sister through a screen door. Like, <laughs> so I, I may, I, mine's overclocked to five gigahertz. I won the, I won the lottery, the Silicon lottery. I've got a huge honking RX 580. There's nothing, I, I am able to run this computer at the uh, full out uh, uh, spec capabilities of, of what I purchased. So at some point, Apple users must get pissed off saying, I'm, I'm getting a computer that is hobbled, like out of the box has been, has been neutered. So anyways, I was tired with that. So that's how it started. And now I've built about three of them.
Oh, great. Well, I, I also built my own, but the first one that I had was in 2008. After, wow. after I had my first Mac, which was a Mac Mini. It's the cheapest that I, I could afford. But yeah, you were right. It was just uh, very quickly, it became very slow. Yeah. Uh, like it couldn't um, cope with my software usage as, as a programmer or something. And even even a couple of games would just kill the, the Mac Mini. Um, so I, I, I did my first. But then for some time, I moved between some PCs with Linux. Uh, I don't think I went back to Windows until I had to use it for work. Um, and when I moved to the US, I, I, I was already using an iMac and I upgraded to the newest iMac until I started editing 4K video. <laughs> and that's when the iMac's like, nope, sorry, nope, nope, I oh, can't do it. And that's that's when I decided, okay, it's, uh, I'll, I'll give it a try to Hackintosh again. And it's been great. And actually, I follow some of your videos to, <laughs> at the beginning to, to know basically what was the the components that, that you recommended or some other So, so what, what, what components do you have? What, what did you settle on? Right, well, uh, I think the same as you, except I didn't choose the K because it, it was like $90 more and I, I didn't think I would need it. With six cores, it's already good enough for me, uh, having the six cores. But I I recently changed my NVIDIA card to uh, Radeon because I upgraded to Mojave and uh, NVIDIA yes. is still not providing the co the drivers, I think. Nope. I have 32 gigabytes of RAM. I have a lot of storage, but even with a lot of storage, which is like seven gigabytes, I ran out <laughs> with 4K footage. Uh, so recently I installed uh, a NAS uh, with eight gigabytes. And, and so that's, uh, I have my backup there. What else? I have a full tower. I chose a full tower, for example, instead of a mid tower, just to, to keep the air flowing. Allegedly, I, I don't even know if that's like really scientific. What else? My sound card is external. Uh, I, I think you also, I, I've seen in, in your yes. videos that you have some mixer, or which is probably an audio interface as well. I have an Adderall. Uh, 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 digital audio uh, uh, analog A to D converter. Oh wow! Well, I have the uh, Scarlett audio interface, and and it does all the conversion internally. But yeah, so um, I, I was a, a bit of an audio geek before. I've been trying to learn stuff with respect to audio, and now that I have a YouTube channel, and you, you probably know this as well from before, but audio is just as as much or maybe more important than video. Oh, absolutely. The audio quality in, in, in video, it's, uh, it's, it's way more important. I tell people I'd rather see crappy video and good audio than good video and crappy audio. Yeah, and funnily enough, there are some statistics that, that, that say that most people listen to YouTube videos more than they watch. Not surprised. Yeah, not surprised. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's good to prioritize audio. And I also have, that's why I have well, a couple of studio monitors, for example, and, and fancy headphones. I just, my speakers, Mirage speakers died and I just bought some Yamaha monitors, which I've always wanted. Oh, yeah. You wanted a specific model? or Yeah. Yeah, I have a Samsung monitors and it's not nothing fancy, but it's way better than regular speakers. Now, these are, these are legendary monitors that they've used for 30 years. In, in in big mixing facilities. I love them. It's great. So we should wrap this up. I got to do yeah. some work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, I was just noticing the how long it's been. So 
but yeah, it's been great. And I, I, I think we are still missing some topics that we if we might do at some other time. Sure. Uh, we, we, I, I wanted to, to talk about comedy a little more and, and the comedy in, in recent times, you know, you, you did mention some things about journalism and, and all the politics involved in newspapers and all, but I wanted to, to, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I taught my answers were way too long. I was trying to keep them short, but I, my brain just couldn't do it. Oh, that's fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. I, I don't have any time restriction for the podcast, but you, I think you, you have some appointment or whatever, but I've, I've taken enough time already. So thanks a lot. And, and I hope to continue this discussion at some point. Thank you very much, Alejandro. Hasta la vista. No, that's not Spanish. It is a Spanish, but it's very cliche. It's a Schwarzenegger <laughs> thing, right? Was that the Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, a pleasure. We'll talk to you later. I'm stopping the recording now. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you visit hanoma.info slash podcast for more episodes. That's J-A-N-O-M-A forward slash podcast. Until next time.